Greetings and salutations. This is. You need your own startup line. I do, don't I? You, you can use it. You used it last time. Yeah. No. Salutations wh- and greetings. No. Okay. Hello and welcome. This is ZBcast. Uh, we are broadcasting live from the center place. Uh, tonight, Jeff. This is not live. Well, it will. Okay, whatever. <laughs> to, to, tonight, Jeff is is indisposed. I think he's on spring break actually uh, for the the Unfenced School Districts. So I think they're on spring break, so we're not sure where he is, but I'm sure he's out doing good somewhere. So tonight, I have myself, John, and Aaron, and David. Tonight, we're going to try a little bit different approach. So what we're going to do, instead of focusing on one topic, we're going to pick three mini-topics. So my topic for tonight will be if consuming entertainment in which scenes of violence that allegedly desensitizes you, does entertainment that portrays altruistic themes do the same? David is going to be bringing our community topic, which came from Kyle. Go ahead. Yeah, Kyle Bryant had a good idea to... Uh talk about the benefits in, of both public schools and private schools as far as children's education goes. So thank you to Kyle for the idea, and we will try and bounce around this topic and see if we can do it justice. Oh, and if it sounds like David is in another room, he in fact is in another room. He has joined us via Skype tonight. Yes, our little plug for Skype Corporation. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about um, the ever-controversial subject of guns. Although it's it's terribly disappointing that we would do this without Jeff, who would add an enormous amount of energy and excitement because he very much enjoys them. Maybe if we can get a couple sound bites of Jeff later, we can just throw them in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, who wants to go first? Why don't you, why don't you, David? Why don't you go first with community topic? Okay. I'm, I I think I might start by talking about the the mutual merits that both of them have over homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I almost said when you introduced your subject that I was offended from the very beginning that it was public school or private school. Where's the other option? I, I, saw, I thought about that. I, <laughs> I think, okay. So, yeah, I will, I will uh, begin the conversation by talking about the, the, the beneficial merits of both private schools and, and public schools and maybe some other alternative forms of education and we will we will be able to do this with somewhat of uh, some civility tonight, since Jeff won't be here to adamantly plug the public school system. I, I think that uh, Kathy and I, Kathy, my wife, uh, we have a daughter that's going to be entering school next year, and so we've given a lot of thought as to whether uh, we should put her in a private school or, or a public school. And you know, the, I think as as Christians, the benefits that we see are, are focused a lot upon the the religious training the, uh, that, that she would be able to receive at school that that there isn't so much red tape and there isn't so many topics that are just off limits by teachers, um, that, that in all the subjects, no matter where she's at during the school day, that there's an opportunity there that the Christian principles can be brought into the curriculum in, in some shape or form. Um, you know, this, this can also be accomplished in a, in a homeschooling environment. Um, and so I, I, I'm not opposed to homeschoolers. I, I know that Aaron may be, but... We, the, the benefit we think this our, our daughter in particular is, is very much um, she loves going to preschool she loves the social aspect of it and, and building those friendships and relationships and so we think that probably for her she she would thrive in a, a an environment with other young children the the obviously drawback that, that a lot of families run into with private schooling I think is the the finances of it and so I think it's a matter of seeing if, if you have the sorry about that it's my phone ringing 
<laughs> uh, see if you have the money to swing a private education. Let me put. I'm gonna. I don't know if I can mute myself while I talk on the phone. I'll be right back. Well, what, whatever. We'll, we'll just we'll, we'll wait. No problem. So what did the chief of police want? Yeah. He wanted um, some good ideas for some activities to do at the junior high retreat this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so anyway. Well, first of all, um, and I don't want to put words into Kyle's mouth, but I yeah. think what he meant was secular school versus uh, a religious school and probably specifically uh, a Christian school. Because... To be okay. fair, there are private schools that do not hold any re- uh, religious affiliation, like Wentworth Academy. Uh, okay. it's, a, it's a military school, or uh, there are several colleges that are private that don't okay. hold any religious affiliation. Um, okay. I mean, just just to be fair, and, and I'm not okay. saying that's what he meant, but that's no, that's I mean, that's a good point. That's that's I mean, probably what he meant. It's I mean, we got to think outside of our our small circles sometimes, and that's but but whether or not they're receiving religious specific christian training there's still a moral training there are just more topics i think that can be in, uh, encroached upon in a private school than can be in a public would you agree i mean would you agree that that's a general enough statement well um i think it goes both ways i think um when you look at private schools uh, some have a lot more funding than a public school and some maybe have less funding and so you know private uh can present more opportunities or fewer opportunities than an equivalent public school. I mean, uh, in Kansas City, we've got like Lee Summit and um, I think it's Olathe are two of the top-rated high schools in the nation. And I mean, there's people across the nation would very much like to be in these schools because of how well the kids do on average, just because of the opportunities there. And, and I'm kind of ignorant to this topic because I've never attended a private school myself. But do you think it? I guess CPRS is an easy example to use since it's kind of close to where we're at and we know some of the people that are there. But do you think at CPRS that they even, like, for instance, in their science classes, that they even talk about evolution? Well, and if not, do you, do you think it's, well, John, you went there, right? Yes, I did. Did you guys ever even cover the idea of evolution? I don't recall, but when I was there, they were, uh, they, they, I think they were underfunded. And they were struggling for science teachers at the time. So okay. the the science education that I got was very poor. Um, right. And I mean that's it, it's it's really a no, a no fault direct fault of theirs because they they were right. working with what they could, uh, right. What they could work with. But I, I don't recall that coming up in any, any of my classes. I believe my math classes were pretty good. Um, right. You know, and and it's one of those things where. When you when you look at it, it, it's easy to pick apart the things that that were bad. Um, I, I had some good experiences there. I had some bad experiences there. Uh, we won't get into all that because th- there's there's n- no value in tearing what that school does down. But right. uh, yeah, I what what I academically what I felt was that I didn't get as broad of an education as I could have in public school like the the sports that were there they weren't very good i mean uh, there's there's no way to get around it but they they weren't they they had an awful sports program but at the same time they're working with parents that would uh come in and 
and volunteer to coach out of their own free time. So again, it's one of those things I can't fault them. But you know, like we, I had a, I had one soccer coach. He didn't really play soccer. He said that he played football in uh, in high school, and that was it. But he still was willing to come out and work with us with whatever he knew. So while I didn't learn soccer, I, I thought that was a valuable lesson. In that, you know, it doesn't matter the fact that he tried. You know, I, I thought that was valuable. Uh, they had almost zero um, zero of a music program when I was there. They had vocal. They have a they have a great, a pretty good program right now. They have a pretty good program right now for music. Was it vocal or instrumental or? Well, I think both. Uh, Nathan is uh, is a very accomplished musician. I think he's doing a good job with the kids. Yeah, but I, I you know, and he is. He's very good. He actually played at my wedding. <laughs> he's very good. Um, they have a good uh, choir program. I know of. Uh, I don't know how well their their instrument program is. Um, if, if I'd wanted to learn any other instruments there, that wouldn't have been an option. But, uh, I mean, that CPRS, the way CPRS is, is structured, that doesn't hold true for all uh, private schools. Because, as Aaron alluded to, there are other private schools that are very well-funded. And, and they can afford better teachers. more or Not better, but, well, yeah, better. And more qualified teachers. And they can offer a, a wider range of classes. But wouldn't it? I mean, the choice of, of private school for a parent is usually about something that they're passionate about, whether it be scholastic or whether it be religious education, and finding a school that will focus on that more than the public school does. Uh, some public schools, you know, are not very academically um, recognized, and so a parent who wants greater scholastic achievement for their child might choose a, a private school that is known for that, or um, you know, maybe they would choose a private school that would have uh, better music uh, education because they they really value education of music, and or you know in the case of CPRS, many parents would be perhaps choosing this for the religious education that they want their kids to receive. Did did we lose David? We must have lost David. Here, let's pretend like we're in the middle of a conversation. And that's why I've always said that about David. I know. I, he always does that. Anyway, David, you have the last word. <laughs> I think that I think that I, as I'm thinking through this, that um, maybe there's a fine line between an environment in which maybe your kids could be further instructed or given more emphasis on fundamentals that, that are particular to you, and that's why you would send them to whatever private school you would choose, and also allowing them to have exposure to... Um, a, a variety of educational topics and, and some depth in those as well. And, you know, John, we're basing somewhat off of your experience since you're the only one that's been in a private school environment like that, that um, sometimes there are limitations to the the breadth of education that can be made available at a, at a smaller private school. But um, it's certainly a, a difficult decision, I think, for a lot of parents to, to weigh those options and to, to select which one's best for their children. Well, you know, and I will say this, that the the environment as far as church education being in in a place where you can, you know, have prayer in school and, and have services, that that was good. That that is good. So if if that's why if that's why you would lean further that way towards private school, then I think that's a good thing. Um, however, one yeah. one caveat don't send your child there thinking the school will fix them. 
Exactly. I mean, and, and that's what I've I heard more and more people giving good counsel in that the the educational process of your child is not just dependent on what school they attend, but also what level of activity parents take in the lives of their children. You know, it's and, and, and hearing other people. So, you know, some people pick a private school uh, simply for class size, having smaller class sizes in a time when a lot of our public schools are being overcrowded uh, because of budget cuts. And yeah, not to mention that the, they're cutting the schools can offer more one on one or. Well, one on ten versus one on thirty or something. Yeah, and uh, in in the news recently, they just cut out like half of the Kansas City schools. I don't know if you guys have heard that lately. Yeah, but that's uh, they were too sparse to begin with. Oh, they were. Yeah, they they had way too many schools for for the si- for their population. They had okay. Uh, I mean, that's not to diminish you know people's feelings on the subject, <laughs> but you know you know from a from a management point of view. It, you know, most a lot of other schools uh, had a more typical teacher to student ratio, and well, anyway, Jeff, Jeff would be able to do that subject a lot better justice. But uh, you know that the thing I think you know to go to your point, John, you, you shouldn't send uh, a kid to a religious school hoping that that school will fix them. It, um, statistics or and studies show that kids religious instruction primarily comes from their parents regardless of their school the school they attend sure and um, and and more than that even public school teachers will say that they have really very little influence over the lives of the kids even though the kids are there you know whatever it is eight hours a day uh, parents have the the largest determining factor in the lives of those children uh, for good or for bad and you know the way we should look at that is if there's something that we we think is valuable that we want instilled in our children, we should take that as a very personal responsibility, which is obviously the genesis of homeschooling. Those parents feel very strongly about education. They feel very strongly about religion. And they've taken a very personal interest in their their children's education. Just And, and so I think that whether you send your kids some to a public school or a private school, you shouldn't... Man, I'm saying he always does this. I am nothing but problems tonight. I apologize. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I just turn it off. We're almost done. On this I, I'm, I'm muting it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I, let me see if I can start back over. <laughs> I, I, so I would say whether you, you choose to send your kids to a public school or a private school. Voicemail. <laughs> no. Whether you choose to send your kids to a public school or a private school. You should not consider your job done. When you're, your kids are still uh, your first priority, and they will still learn more from you than they will from any teacher. I, th- I think that's the key point, Aaron, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. Anything else, or should we move on? Let's move on. I'm done. All right. I'm trying to silence everything in this room. I'm taking the batteries out of several things now, so we're good. <laughs> okay. And, and one, one more time. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle, for the community topic. We appreciate uh, community participation. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, Again, my topic is, if consuming entertainment in which scenes of violence that allegedly desensitizes you does entertainment that portrays altruistic themes do the same? So in other words, uh, very often you will hear arguments, well, um, people watch uh, violent movies and violent TV 
so much that it just doesn't affect them after a while. They're, they're so used to seeing it that when they see someone get shot on TV, it's not that big of a deal, even though it's the taking of a human life. So what I would, what I would su- submit to, to the panel, if you constantly see scenes of people doing good things, does that also uh, desensitize you? So when you see someone helping someone, you're like, eh, whatever. Very interesting. Uh, you know, the logic would, would seem to hold that if, if we're impressionable in one way, we'd be impressionable in the other way. Also, I think uh, I've, I've observed from time to time, you know, every once in a while the church will, will get all bent out of shape because somebody believes differently than we do on some little piece of minutia. And we forget about the fact that we, ha- we hold 99.9% of our beliefs in common. And this one piece of minutia uh, is, is all that separates us. And it, we're ready to throw somebody off a bridge be- you know, because they want to take the center cup out of the communion tray or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay, let, let's take... Uh, well, uh, even though we did a video game episode, let's take video games, for example. Because that's always a hot-button issue, whether or not there's too much violence in video games. Now, quite often... Amidst that violence, you're on some mission for a purpose. You've been asked by someone to help them do something. Now, sure, by what avenues you take, it usually involves uh, killing somebody or several people. Or monsters. I, or I or monsters. Yeah, I monsters. Monster slang. Um, so, I mean, does that reinforce that, that you're always going to be out there willing to help people? I think, you know, maybe it's very different depending on each person's personality. I know for me, when I either watch a movie or a TV show or a telethon or I see someone or I'm involved in a presentation where I see people talking about doing good or some charitable activity, my inclination is to want to be a part of that. Um, So I I cannot think in my mind where I, I don't feel like I've been desensitized to it, although sometimes it's difficult to look into our own lives and see if we actually have or not. But how about this for a theory? If, if we can agree to the fact that the United States as a country is one of the most generous, if not, I won't say the most generous, but we're certainly one of the most generous countries in the world when it comes to either even personal contributions or governmental contributions to worldwide disasters or worldwide needs or uh, specific needs of other countries. I, I think that we're a very giving country. Could that be due in part to the fact that we have such an extensive media and all of these situations are put before the, uh, the the American public on a nightly basis on the news and on the internet that because of the media that we have available to us, we are able to see so many things that happen in the world. And, and because of that exposure, uh, we have a desire to be a part of that and to be part of a solution, which if that is true, if that theory is correct, then I think that that would say that um, the more altruistic uh, events we see before us actually encourage us to do more as opposed to desensitizing ourselves to it. I, you know, I could go either way. You know, when I think about uh, things that I, I consider desensitizing, we, I would first think of, you know, like a, the opening prayer and the closing prayer in a worship service. We, we experience these things, you know, multiple times in a week, you know, at least Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. And there are times where I will uh, hear the end of the prayer, amen, and think, I don't know if I heard anything that the guy said now maybe it's just because you know I'm thinking about other things and I'm distracted but it's it's interesting to me that perhaps you know because we hear those opening prayers closing prayers so frequently we we start to zone out a little bit well, that's a really good point um, 
yeah i used to i i used to test my friends sometimes like that because they, they would go to uh church social events uh where there'd be some kind of speaker and i'd be like so what they talk about I don't know. I just went to go hang out with people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's not exactly the same thing, but I, I think that's very uh, a, a very interesting observation. I mean, and sure, we're we're all guilty of it that, that there are things that we'll tune out because we've heard it so many times, or we've been maybe overexposed. Um, like I, I used to joke around with people at CPRS when they would want to do uh, some kind of morning worship that I would always say, "Well, let's read Footprints in the Sand," because that had been used so much at the school and at, at so many church activities that they, they, they wouldn't want to use it. Or, or any time that someone would want to sing a, a song, I would always raise my hand and want to sing Kumbaya. But it, it had been oversaturated in the school, just like uh, Michael Rowe, your boat ashore had been. And so that, that I, I don't know if it's because they didn't value those songs as much, even though they still, had, they still held good messages. But it's just that, like, it didn't mean as much to them. They had to be doing something that was, I guess, a little more, something that was a a little more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Interruptive, different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was going to school at UMKC, you know, I'd be driving back sometimes late at night. And, uh, you know, you have to be, you have to be awake to drive. Mm -hmm. But there would be Mm -hmm. times where, I would look around and think, I don't remember the last five minutes or ten minutes of driving. <laughs> Not Obviously, I'm awake. I have made numerous turns. I mean, there's nothing straight about coming home from UMKC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, I didn't recall any of it. And it's like, you know, I had done that same trip, you know, multiple times. I, I mean, not multiple times a day, but multiple times a week. Uh, certainly every time, at least every day, at least once. Um, that it just... You know, essentially, I didn't even focus on it, and so it didn't. It's like your brain doesn't record things that are uninteresting. Right. Yeah. David, do, do you have any uh, examples in your personal life that you can think of where there was something that was good that was just oversaturated, and then it, it didn't mean as much to you, or you just kind of blanked out whenever it happened? Oh, I'm. Hey, if you either, can, that's okay. Either, either I can't, either I can't think of anything unique to myself, or I'm choosing not to paddle on myself tonight. <laughs> well, and you I'm know, not going to say which one. Well, that's okay. That's well, okay. You know, if we if we think about scripture, we're we're we are instructed to not uh, do. Well, I don't. I guess I say we're instructed. I don't. Know, I can't even think right now, drawing a blank where it would be in scripture. But we shouldn't do communion too frequently. Mm-hmm. We do it once a month so that it's it's not too frequent. It doesn't become um, just wrote. Right. Although I will say in the early church, uh, my understanding is they did it every Sunday. So I guess it, there must not be a scriptural injunction against it. But anyway. Well, times were tough. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, Last word to John. Well, I, I think that we we can see examples both way that you can be desensitized to, to good things and bad things. So I, I think we can safely leave it at that. Okay, final topic. Aaron? All right. I think I'm going to talk about guns. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, would, uh, Jeff would be laughing right now. He loves guns, and um, I don't want to get him in trouble. I like guns, too, though, though not the same as uh, maybe my brother does or, or Jeff does. Uh, I find them very interesting to, to play with. But, uh, you know, to play with? Responsibly. Yeah. Responsibly. Re- responsibly, <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, I grew up out in the country. There was, uh, you know, it was quite a bit of fun to go shoot at pop bottles and uh, and whatnot. Um, you know, I I grew up with them and uh, was taught how to use them safely. Who, uh, who taught you how to shoot? My dad. Okay. Right. What was your first gun? My first gun was a shotgun, 12 gauge, uh, for home defense. And you know, there's there's a lot of, little bit of controversy about guns. Some people feel very very strongly you shouldn't have them. That they're dangerous, that nothing good can come from them, and um, and then of course there's the the stereotypically portrayed people who love guns almost to uh, a frenzy and uh, can't think responsibly about them, and they're they're a danger to society. But you know, I I would say that there's there's probably a happy medium somewhere that um, you know people we don't often talk about. But um, you know where I'm coming from, I, it seems like. Uh, we would do ourselves a disservice if we were to just get rid of all guns uh, and that the I'll take an extreme position just for the sake of a fun fun discussion I guess I'll take the other side then (laughs) if uh, if we were to uh, I'll take the third side I don't I don't know that there are three sides David but you can try (laughs) (laughs) David's gonna sit back and see which one wins and then he'll join that side I'll jump on that side yeah I you know I would I would argue that uh, guns are only as uh, safe or unsafe as the person wielding them, that uh, they're they're no smarter than a hammer, and therefore they can't be bad or good by themselves. It's all about the the user. Well, that's not very extreme. I was expecting you to say guns are good, and I was going to have to say guns are bad. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I do not believe guns have any morality of them of their own. I would say that it's good for people to own guns, and the reason I believe that is that. Uh, you know, scripturally, when we we think about those who've gone before us, Nephi and Moroni and uh, Alma, they all wielded swords, and there, that was the weapon, the the, mo- the modern day weapon for them was a was a sword, uh, bows and arrows, perhaps. They they didn't see any problem with these. Well, I think guns are reprehensible, and that they should be beaten to plowshares. Okay. Um, You're not going to get a very good plowshare out of a gun. Yeah. Hey, I'm just trying to stick with the story here. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think we have, um, I, th- I think we have an obligation to defend ourselves and defend our families, and to the degree with which um, society would take measures against us, that we should take equal measures uh, to protect ourselves and our families. So, uh, you know, while I don't. I don't fault the anti-Nephi-Lehites who were unwilling to take up their weapons again. Um, I sympathize with their children who were willing to take up their swords to defend their parents. As a parent, I have a son. I have a. I also have a wife who I would be willing to defend. And if that meant, if I meant that I had to kill someone to protect the life of my wife or my son, I would do that because my wife's life and my son's life. Is worth more to me than the person who would try to take that from them. Well, in truth, I, I do agree. I, I am. I was just goofing around earlier. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think you can have a lot of fun with that your, your position. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do agree. I, I think that, um, and, and I don't want to be too reductive on the subject and just to boil it down to black and white. But I, I do think that that we have a certain responsibility to to care for the ones that we love, um, and to defend them. There was a point in my life where I felt like 
Um, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't need to have my own weapons. I wouldn't need to defend myself because God could defend me. And um, it was it was when I was reading about Moroni who uh, had it, had a sword and and was willing to captain an army um, that I thought, wait a second, this was a, a really powerful man of God. Uh, there's there's nothing I can say negatively about him, and nor do I. Granted, he was writing the record, or his father was writing parts of the record, but he was writing parts of the record, or abridging it. And uh, so maybe if God had spoken negatively to him, he would have written that out of the Book of Mormon. But I, I don't see any, and I don't see any statements that suggest that you know he was less of a godly man for carrying a sword and and using it. Well, let me take the uh, the defense of your family, you know, just a, a step farther. What 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 do you think would be a better example, um, or what would be more beneficial in the end to to your son, that you didn't fight back, and you know say you're getting attacked that you didn't fight back in your own home and were killed and he was left fatherless, or you made an attempt to defend and he still had a father. Mm-hmm. Like what, what I'm what I'm saying is that that well I think it's it's noble. To lay down your life, to turn the other cheek, so to speak, you also need to re- uh, consider the repercussions of that. To take responsibility for the action of turning the other cheek, what will happen further down the line? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, these are all hypotheticals, so sure. it's not like I can say with definity that it, it's going to happen one way or it's going to happen this way. But you know, just food for thought. Uh-huh. Well, and you know, I, I will say that. When I when I made the decision to get a gun, you know, based on that experience, I specifically chose a shotgun because, you know, my the hypothetical, you know, if somebody comes in in the middle of the night and you want to have to defend yourself, my thought was there's nothing scarier than a, a pump action shotgun going off in the middle of the night. If, if, At close range. If, if you're a bad guy in somebody's house and you hear a, the pump action of a shotgun, that's all you need to hear. You're gone. <laughs> I, you know, likely as not, that sound alone would be enough. I, you wouldn't actually have to use it. That's true. That's true. So it, I, I think that's the best case scenario, isn't it? Just the threat of violence would be enough to prevent violence from actually happening. Right. And, and unfortunately, that's the only thing that some people are able to reason out in their minds is the threat of, of someone stronger or more powerful than you are keeps prevents them from doing harm to you. Uh-huh. The threat of police response is what keeps some people from performing uh, their deeds, whether it be robbing or a bank or whatever else. Mm-hmm. There has to be a threat of violence or some threat of punishment. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, would it be agreeable that for us that a best case scenario would be the least amount of response that would be sufficient to prevent someone from doing us harm is what we were what we're looking for. Sure. Because yeah. like you said, you know, like you said, the, the sound of a, a pump action should be enough to get somebody to leave the house, right? But if if the if it were if it were if you were confident that the the presence of police were sufficient, then that would be even better. But right. also, you know, because you while the pumping of a shotgun would be enough, so would also the the, the ticking of a, a bomb or something would also <laughs> be enough to get somebody to run off. But that might, you know, we call that an overkill. Well, we, we also might want to consider that should it boil down to that, that there is also fight or flight. I mean, would it yeah. would it be more beneficial to just take your kids and run? 
if that yeah i mean if it's an option i mean it, it just something else to consider so I, I i don't think we're trying to condone violence we're just no no not we're at trying all. to get around we're trying to get around to the point where each person has to make a decision of what level of response they need in order to feel safe in their home is that is that accurate yeah i think so i right. uh you know certainly at least in your home um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It, wherever you may be. Well, you know, people in Texas, they carry around their firearms in plain sight, so. Yeah. <laughs> but that's beside the point. You know, it, it is a, I, I guess it would probably be appropriate not to drift too, too far into the gun uh, argument or debating arena, but uh, I think I think that, um, well, I, I think I just won't go any further because because people feel very passionately about the subject and it's true. You know, it's um, you know people feel you know that a gun in the house is tantamount to killing your own child, you mm-hmm. know, right. because mm-hmm. they've seen they've seen a news story here or there that where that has occurred and you know maybe it's because uh, adequate uh, safeguards were not in place, maybe it was because the kids were not instructed the severity mm-hmm. of those guns, but. You know, for centuries before, mm-hmm. uh, well, I don't, I don't know how many centuries, but for decades before this, uh, guns were a very common part of life, and yeah. there were no gun safes. Uh, right. Kids were taught at a young age how to how to use them because they were they needed them for food as well as for home defense, and so it, it, we just live in a little bit different society where that where we're a little bit more removed from from when that was a commonplace. Well, normally Jeff would then be here to share his topic, but he is not here. So uh, I guess on that note, we will wrap it up. Uh, Don't forget to uh, email us with your community suggestions for our next topics. You can email us at any of our first names at zionbound.com. Also, don't forget to dig the podcast on iTunes. All right. Until we are together at last in Zion, let us remain Zionbound. Bound.